But I love taking my keys, putting them in the ignition of my car, getting behind the wheel, and watching Nick Vegas disappear in the rearview mirror. Come on now. I'm going to ask you teenagers to participate for a moment. We're going to do a mathematical equation. One set of car keys that turns and ignites a car that goes places plus one driver's license equals freedom. Freedom. Come on. Every teenager cannot wait to get one of these and a set of these because you can go wherever you want, whenever you want. You do not have to ask mom or dad or your older brother or sister to drag you around. You are free. It's why old people fight so hard to keep them. On Friday, I was in line at the county clerk's office. And behind me, on the last day of the month, booyah, because the church is a corporation and corporations do their registration in March. So I was there for the church truck and uh, trailer, and behind me in line was this lady, clearly 15 years older than me, and her very frail mother, who was hunched over and was leaning on the wall to register her car so she can drive. Even McDaniel comes out of the county clerk's office, sizes up the situation, is getting people different places, and looks, takes one look at this frail woman and is like, oh, honey, do you need to sit down? Let's get this poor woman a chair. So they go take her in and sit her down, and as soon as they disappear behind the wall, the lady who was behind me, oh, can't believe. We come here for Easter, and she wants to register her car. She shouldn't be driving. She can't even see over the steering wheel. When we come back this summer, we're going to have to just take it away. And I'm going, I think that frail woman's not going to let you. <laughs> you ain't taking away her freedom. Okay? Everyone on the planet, every man, woman, boy, and girl is on a freedom quest. Everybody wants to be free. Free to do what you want. Free to not have obligations or responsibilities or somebody telling you what to do. What exactly is freedom? What is it? Is it really just the ability to do whatever you want? I mean, is that what freedom is? Is it really the freedom of obligation of relationships? Is that really freedom? The freedom from responsibility? Uh, I was reminded of that just a few months ago. I, uh, I, it was late afternoon. Somebody that's part of the Generations family had their dinner hour open up who I never get to see. They texted me. I was like, sure, I'll meet you for dinner because I had evening meetings and I hadn't checked in with Jenny and didn't think a thing of it. And it's 10, 10, 30, 11 when I'm coming home and all the lights were off, but I opened the door in the kitchen and there's the light on by our red chairs in the kitchen. And there's Jenny. And she looks up at me and she says, where have you been? And I said, well, you know, I was, you know, I was sit dinner with Seth and then I had these meetings, da, 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 da. Why didn't you answer your phone? And I'm thinking... I always answer my phone for you, my love. <laughs> and she says, I've tried, been trying to call you, and I can't get a hold of you. And just to prove that I was right, I pulled out my phone, which in the late afternoon I had silenced because I was in a meeting. And when I flipped the screen, I was like, oh, I see you've called nine times. Now, teenagers, I am a 44-year-old man, and I can go out whenever I want. 
I am completely free. But you know what? I don't like sleeping on the couch. That is not freedom in my book. Okay? So what is freedom? I want to suggest to you today that freedom is something else. Freedom is actually freedom from what others think of you. That's real freedom. To not have other people's opinions and expectations weigh on you like an anvil, that's freedom. Real freedom is freedom from guilt, from shame, from all kinds of emotions that grab hold of you and cause you to do things and say things that you don't even want to do. You're just doing it because the emotion is taking you there. That's freedom. Real freedom is freedom from the behavioral patterns of your parents. You know what I'm talking about. We all got parents. You see how mom and dad are messed up. Come on. If they're here today, just don't look. Stare straight at me. Don't look, okay? You know it's the case, right? Real freedom is not doing the passive-aggressive thing your dad does all the time. That's freedom. Freedom to be who you are. Freedom to love and give freely without constraint or worry. That's freedom. There are four accounts of Jesus' life in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of them insist that Jesus came to set people free. All four. Jesus himself makes that claim. And he makes that claim here in Luke chapter 4. This is what he says. He had gone into the temple, a synagogue actually, a synagogue, and unrolled a scroll, and he read this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim that captives will be released. The blind will see. The oppressed will be, here it is again, set free. And that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll handed it back to the attendant and sat down. All the eyes of the synagogue looked at him intently, and then he said, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. That's a bold claim. Come on now. If you are here today, and there's just a small part of you that's thinking, you know, I wouldn't mind being free from some negative emotions. If there's just a small part of you that's thinking, you know, there's some habits that I could do without, if there's just a small part of you that shrivels under the opinion of other people and you'd like some freedom, I got good news for you. You're in the right place today. That's what we're going to talk about. The person who can set you free is Jesus, and he is alive today, and he is still setting people free 2,000 years later, and I want to make a case for that, and to do that, we're going to look at an encounter he had with a man from a city called Jericho, a wee little man. So if you brought a Bible, you can actually crack that puppy open, all right? Right now, here's your chance. Luke chapter 19, you Bible bringers. Luke chapter 19, we're going to throw it up on the screen for the non-Bible bringers, because grace abounds, right? Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Luke 19, verse 1. This whole scenario is playing out in the city of Jericho, but on the way to Jericho... Jesus had encountered this blind man that was by the road. He was a beggar, and he was doing this annoying thing. Oh, son of David, have mercy on me. Oh, I'm blind, I'm blind. Help me, help me. It's just annoying. I'm speaking for Jesus now. It's just annoying. And so Jesus does what Jesus does, and he heals the guy. Only now, instead of creating a ruckus because he's blind, he gets in the procession behind Jesus and he's doing the happy dance. I can see, I can see. Every bit is annoying now, just in a different way. And they go into the city that way. So it's Jesus, the rock star rabbi that everybody wants to see, 
I mean, come on, if Barack Obama visited Nicholasville, even though it's a red state, even though it's a red county, people would show up, wouldn't they? Because it's the president. Jesus, at this point in his ministry, is a rock star. Everywhere he goes, people want to see him. They want to hear him. They want to see if he's going to do something special. And they show up. And so now he's entering the city, and he's got this. So as he's coming in, the people are going, hey, that's that rabbi. And oh, my goodness, that's that blind guy that was always outside the city. Look at that. Man, isn't that something. So boom, Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in that region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd, poor guy. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Zacchaeus wasn't just any tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. In a pyramid scheme, he was the tip of the pyramid. In other words, for the whole region of Jericho, there would be tax collectors. So here's how it would work. Let's say you were going to buy some fish and stuff. You'd have to pay a tax. Let's say you wanted to go to a different town. You had to pay a tax. Let's say you wanted to just go to the bathroom. You had to pay a tax. It's kind of like America, right? You just have to pay a tax, pay a tax, pay a tax, pay a tax. Some of you are like, amen. Okay? So everywhere you went, tax collecting booze, people taking taxes, they turned them in, turned them in, turned them in. It all funneled through Zacchaeus on its way to Rome, and he got a cut of everybody's commission. It made him the wealthiest man in town. I mean, Bill Gates wealthy. He had tons and tons of money. But in the Bible, tax collectors, we know this at Generations, I just taught on this, tax collectors are always paired with another group of people. Tax collectors and sinners. See, tax collectors weren't respected. And I've thought about this, and I'm going to have to revise my modern-day explanation of it. I used to say, think of a porn star, but now porn stars and porn producers are getting good press in CNN, so now I'm, I'm going to go to another category of people that I think ev- most people would be like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. So just for a moment, think pedophile. Think pedophile. What if a pedophile moved into your neighborhood or next to you? See, you have feelings right now just because I said the word. There's a part of you that's like, oh, burn them at the stake, kill them, shoot them. You might even have hatred in there. Take those feelings and go back 2,000 years. That's how people felt about tax collectors, those feelings, strong feelings. And they felt that way over Zacchaeus. Poor guy, and he was a short man to boot. What is it with short people trying to make up for it? Napoleon, Genghis Khan, I mean, what is the deal? Okay, so at any rate, Zacchaeus is a short man, and because he's a short man, he climbs the sycamore tree because he wants to see Jesus. This short little tax tyrant wants to see the rock star rabbi. So let's keep going. Verse 5 and following. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. I must be a guest at your house today. And again, way back then, if you had dinner, lunch with somebody, it implied acceptance. And all the people, the crowds that had come to see the rock star rabbi, knowing that Zacchaeus, the despicable man, has Jesus in his house, they're they're not happy. The word here is grumbled. It's the same word used of the Israelites in the desert, murmuring, grumbling. It's a bet. They're upset. 
In other words, they're basically saying, not cool, Jesus. Don't you know what he's done? Don't you know what he's taken? He's taken stuff that isn't even his, and he collaborates with our Roman oppressors. He's a scumbag. He is always going to be a little tax tyrant. Why would you waste your time with him? They are upset. But look at verses 8 and 9. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, Kapow, verse 8, I will give half my wealth to the poor. What? Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, big if, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Something happened in that house. Something happened in that house. Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus changes Zacchaeus. How do I know? Verses 8 and 9. Look at what that man promises. I will give away half of my wealth to the poor. For anyone I've cheated, that's practically everyone, I will give four times back as much. At the end of fulfilling those promises, do you know what Zacchaeus will be? Broke. He will be financially broke. Look at what Jesus himself says. Today, salvation has come to his home. A true son of Abraham. See, the Zacchaeus after Jesus is a Zacchaeus who's honest about what he's done. He's vulnerable about what he's done. He's repentant about what he's done. It's not just, and, and I look at this and I see a man who's been set free. I don't know about you, but the Zacchaeus I see in verses 8 and 9, that's not someone who's burdened or swayed by the opinions of the crowd. And you know what they were going to say, yeah, right, but we'll see it when you actually follow through, Zacchaeus. He's not, the, the opinions of the crowd and other people aren't defining who he is. Who he is de is defined now by Jesus. He's not held captive by greed anymore. Look at how much he's willing to give away, everything. Greed no longer owns him on the inside. He's free. He's not ashamed. He, this, this isn't a timid man who is worried that he sold out his neighbors. This is a confident man who's going to do what it takes to make things right. One encounter with Jesus and Zacchaeus is a free man. How can Jesus do that? I want to suggest to you today that if you've never heard this before, it's true. Jesus was the freest man who ever lived. If you want freedom, you might want to investigate Jesus. He's the freest man who ever lived. This is what he said in another passage. This is what he claimed. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want and to take it up again. That's freedom. I'm a 44-year-old man, and I can't even go out for a few hours in the evening, let alone lay my life down and take it back up. And the whole point of today is that Christians all around the world are insisting that that man 2,000 years ago did, in fact, take his life up back again. Why? Because he was the freest man who ever lived. And he is on a quest to set as many people free as he can. That power of Jesus to set people free is available today. And I want to tell you something about this church. This church is full of imperfect people. 
This church is full of people who still sin, who still mess up, who still do and say things that are wrong, but there is a revolution underway. The people in this church are experiencing more and more freedom. And you can get in on that. Let me tell you about Mike LeSage. Mike LeSage, pre-Jesus, was a hothead. If anyone, would, if anyone would shove it down your throat, it would have been Mike. He could give you the what for like no tomorrow. Just a year ago, he said something to me that was actually, I mean, it's true, it's dead on. The next day, he called me apologizing, verbally saying to me, I just want you to know that I believe in you and da-da-da-da, and I want to make sure, and I'm like, it's Mike. This is the post-Jesus Mike. This is the Mike who's free. And if you had known the home that he had been brought up in, etc., you would, you would have excused the shove down your throat Mike. But see, Mike's getting freedom in his life, and that's how that freedom is expressing itself. Just this week, Mitch Chemnitz was sharing in a G-Town meeting the, the, uh, the old Mitch, the wallflower Mitch, the timid Mitch, would not have done all the things he does in church today. He was saying, I, that's not me. The, the pre-divorce Mitch, I, did, I didn't volunteer to do anything. I, didn't, I, I was scared to death of what people thought. Do you know that three weeks ago, he and my wife did the Bible story in G-Town and they did it as an opera? <laughs> Ask your kids, I'm not making it up. Timid Wallflower Mitch did an opera. That's freedom. Freedom from what people think. Freedom to be who he is. Come on, couldn't you use some freedom? This is not self-help. This is not psychology. This is not trying harder. This comes from the power of Jesus Christ. And see, here's the thing. You and I think that we're in control of our own lives. And that's often not the case. There are things inside us that are controlling us. I, I use a technical term for that. I call it spiritual stuff. There's spiritual stuff in you that controls you and causes you to do things that make you unfree and that take you places you don't even want to go. Let me ask two clarifying questions that will kind of briefly shine a light on that spiritual stuff, if you don't believe me. Flashlight number one. Do you find yourself getting angry a lot? Do you get angry a lot? Is there anger that comes out? If something blocks you from getting something good, do you find yourself fuming? I mean, are there punishing words that come out of your mouth? Is there somebody that when they call or when their name is mentioned, the anger just comes because they owe you? I want to suggest to you today that you have a spiritual master on the inside. Second flashlight, are you fearful? When something good in your life is threatened, are you worried? Are you anxious? Does that worry and fear paralyze you? Are you so anxious you can't see straight? I would suggest to you there's a spiritual master on the inside. Jesus can set you free. I'm telling you, the man lived 30 years in a little town called Nazareth, and that Nazareth did not define him, did not keep him down. One day, he laid down his carpenter tools, he was baptized, and he started healing people and setting people free, and he's doing it today, 2,000 years later. Are there things in you that are holding you back and keeping you down on the inside? Today, would you climb down out of the tree and let Jesus in. For some of you, it's the first step of grace, the, responding to the gospel. Here's what I mean by that. 
you've been trying to negotiate and navigate your relationship with God by what you do and don't do, by how good you are or not good you are, how often you pray or read the Bible, and that's how you relate to God. You're just hoping you're going to be good enough at the end of it. When what you could do is make a decision and go, you know what, I'm going to quit doing this whole game. And God, for this to be right, you look at what your son, Jesus Christ, did on my behalf. He lived the life I should have lived, died the death I deserve. Look at him, not me. When you make that decision, it's kind of what couples do when they're in love. There's this tipping point, and they decide, yep, she's the one, he's the one, and they lock in. The Bible calls it saving faith when it comes to Jesus, when you've made that decision that you're not going to do the game with him anymore. You're just going to put your confidence in Jesus Christ. That's called saving faith. For some of you, it's a second step of grace or a 30th step of grace. And what you need to do is you need to let God in and you need to, he, there's this spiritual master on the inside and you just need some, him to set you free in that area. You need greater freedom. So it's a, hey, God, I give you permission. Come on in and do some freedom. A week ago Thursday, I was in a conference with 3,000 people. And I have this magic computer pen. It's a LiveScribe computer pen. It's $200. I was taking notes with it. We went to lunch. We came back. My pen was missing. One of the spiritual master struggle things in my life is that oftentimes I doubt that God loves me. I know he loves everybody else, but sometimes I wonder if that's really true about me. And I prayed that day. I was like, oh, God, you know, how could you take my pen? Da, 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 da. You know, what are you, what are you doing, God? You know, uh, and end of the day, doesn't turn up. Friday comes and goes. Yeah, I knew that would happen. On Monday, I'm on my way to see my friend who's helping me get more freedom in this area of my life. And who should call but the church that hosted the event to say that we found your life scribe pen? Now, let me ask you, is that a coincidence? No. If God would do that for me, he would do much, much more for you. He does not love me more than he loves you. He does not care for me more than he cares for you. And it is available today. Will you let him in? Let him in. Let him in. Climb down out of the tree and let him in your home. Let him in your life. That's all I ask.